welcome to the IMDb Journey podcast, where we break down every movie from the top 250 and give our thoughts, our reviews, and any general discussion along the way. My name is Daniel Henderson, and Dean, there's two kinds of people in this world, those who host and those who co-host. You host. You bet you didn't think I was going to say that, did you? No, I did not. Not at all. Thank you, co-host. Oh. <laughs> and I'm Dean Jeffrey, and I know what I am, a son of a bitch. And today we'll be breaking down the Spaghetti Western classic, The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. Dean, hello. Hello, young man. How are you today? I know, I must say, you seem a little flat. Yes, I'm extremely exhausted. I have been working tirelessly this week. Man, you're soft. Fair dinkum. You're meant to be a good Aussie battler. Harden up. Mate, you have no idea what I've had to do this oh, week. Oh, I have no idea. Mate, <laughs> mate, come on. You just come back from a couple of weeks off. And what did you tell me earlier? You had two days and you're like, oh, I can't wait for this day off. Hey, I worked two days, had six days off, worked two days, and I felt it was time for another day off. Mate, I have had several 12 to 16 hour days at work with our latest stock take, uh, put in so many hours it was ridiculous, only to find out today that I pressed one button wrong at the start of this whole thing, and when it all sent through, it was on the wrong day. So what that meant was that they had to scrap the whole thing and uh, we have to do it again in three weeks. So about 35 hours of work in the last couple of days was for nothing. You know, in my work, we hear about these idiot managers <laughs> who press the wrong button when doing a stock take and have to come back and redo the whole thing. You know and what it was? And it blows my mind how idiots such as yourself actually get promoted <laughs> to these levels of responsibility where you are dumb enough to make such an error. You know what it was? Stupidity. It was setting the date. Because instead of hitting the seventh, I hit eight instead of seven at the very start. Hit the button and went all, went along with it. And then when it all finished, we looked at it like, oh no, we could have changed it, but we'd we'd you know sent it, shipped it off to the head office by that point. So it's like we had embarrassing. That, we Did had, you get in a lot of trouble? Not really. It's actually happened a couple of times. Not to no. me. <laughs> not to me. Why not am I not surprised? <laughs> not really. Happens every month. <laughs> Not to me. I've, I've heard horror stories about this before, and now I'm part of it. Wow. Wow. Bravo, sir. Bravo. Thank you. All right, Hendo. What else are we doing today? Well, Dean, after the breakdown, we'll get some listener feedback on the film too. We'll check out some answers to our question of the week, which is, what is your favorite film starring Clint Eastwood? Yeah, I saw we had a lot of responses for that a one. A lot of responses. And we'll give our top five on that same question. We'll also check out the results of some recent polls we did, including the final four in our Best Director tournament. Mm, And last time I checked on that, there was a 50-50 result going at the moment, so I'm very keen to hear how that ended up. And our Pod V Pod 8 movie draft we did a couple of weeks ago, so plenty to get into today. Actually, speaking of movie drafts, I recently was a guest on the So I Married a Movie Geek podcast, where myself, Alexa from You Can Rewind It podcast, Gerald from the Two Peas on a podcast, and Ben from Blockbuster Mentality competed in a draft on 1983 films. Yeah, I actually did listen to that. I've got to say, it's a rough year to do. It did feel like it. Not one of my favourite years of the decade, but we, we did good. We had a blast. I had I had a lot of fun over there. Yeah, nice. Um, It was a fun listen, so I do recommend, if you haven't heard it, go out and uh, track it down. Yeah, the poll will be finished by the time this comes out, but uh, suffice to say, I'm pretty sure I smashed everyone. <laughs> <laughs> you wish. Yeah, but please do go and listen to the episode. We all had a great time. And make sure you listen to all the other drafts and movie reviews that Justin and Chrissy do over there on their awesome podcast. Give me the update. All right, what's going on with the IMDb Top 250 list? Well, I haven't done a complete update on this, but one thing I did want to point out, debuting at number 138 is Bohemian Rhapsody. 
What? Yeah. Really? Yeah. With a score of 8.2 so far. That's surprising. I've heard I know. mixed reviews. I know. Wow, okay. I'll be very keen to keep track of this over the next couple of fortnights and see how long it stays in the top 250 for. Yeah, from what I've heard, I don't think it'll be there long. I will wait and see. Also, I noticed that the sequel to Yojimbo, Sanjuro, is in there now at 228. <laughs> 228? Yeah. That's high. Yeah, usually the films, they pop in there at like the 249s and yeah. that, but heading into 228, it looks like it might be in there for a, a while now. Must have had that one extra vote to get it over the line and bang. That's all it needed. Interesting. Yeah, so that's going to do it for the update this fortnight. Fair enough. Actually, just before we get into it here, I wanted to read out an email we received recently from Melissa at the Brook Reading Podcast. She said, hello, Daniel and Dean. I need to tell you- Hi, ha- Melissa. Cut me off one more time. <laughs> <laughs> She'd appreciate it. <laughs> I need to tell you how delighted I've been, especially with your past few episodes. Your review of A Star Is Born was right on. I was raving and yelling the whole time. Yes, Cooper and Elliot deserve freaking Oscars. Yes, Gaga was amazing and killed it with that singing. And then today, I heard that your number one highest rated joint movie of all time is Pulp Fiction. That is in my top three favorite movies of all time. Ever since I started listening to you, I've always appreciated how well you articulated your feelings and the mechanics of the movies you watch. You are arguably one of my top favorite movie review shows out there. I think I need to become a patron soon. Sincerely yours across the pond, Melissa from the Brook Reading Podcast. Wow, what a great email. That is fantastic. Thanks to so go, much, To go Melissa. out of your way to send us a big email like that, it's uh, made us feel very good. Thank you very much, Melissa. Yeah, it's really touching. And as always with our main breakdowns, we're about to spoil the shit out of this film. So if you haven't seen it, please be aware from the get-go, we will be spoiling it. That's right. So we're going to take a short break here, give you a couple of promos from some awesome podcasts out there. And we'll be back on the other side with the good, the bad, and the ugly. Do you know what I hate, Bex? What's that? Movie trailers. Seriously. We go to the movies, we pay a shit ton of money to go and actually see the movie, and then I've got to wait 10, 15 minutes to watch like seven or eight trailers for movies some of them I don't give a shit about, some of them I do, but I've seen them like 18 times on YouTube already. I don't want to see it, just play the goddamn movie! But isn't that what this is? What? Isn't this like a, you know, like a trailer for our podcast, Gareth's Random Ramblings, that we try and do every single week that you can find on Spreaker and iTunes? Or you can check out on garethsrandomramblings.space. You know what? I love trailers. They're the best. He's just a guy. He loves to ramble randomly across the wire. It's Gareth. Welcome to Super Movie Brothers. I'm your host, Super Movie Brother Dave. I'm your other host, Super Movie Brother Jay. We're a show that talks about movies, talks about beers. I'm the guy that likes big Hollywood blockbusters, big explosions, big dicks, big tits, just being thrown out there in your face. I love your comic book movies. I love your sci-fi movies. This is my co-host, Jay. He's your more indie art house motherfucker. I'm the guy who likes small dicks, small tits, small independent films that you guys all have never heard of. But we come together to talk about movies and deliver you news on movies. We talk about trailers on movies. We give movie reviews. We're here to bring it all to you with big, hard, fucking cocks. And small cocks, too. There's, there's Small cocks need love, too. But you can find us on iTunes, at Super Movie Brothers Podcast. Find us on Twitter, at Super Movie Pod. Check us out. Cheers. Cheers. The good, the bad, the ugly. 
So, The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, released in 1966, starring Clint Eastwood, Eli Wallach, Lee Van Cleef. And that's it. That is it. <laughs> no one else matters. Directed by Sergio Leone. Second well, film. He matters. Second film we've done of his. Do you remember the first one? Vaguely. Oh, yes, you actually... No, oh, yes, oh no. you, you paused for so long there, I actually thought you'd forgotten. No, 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 of course I remember. Once Upon a Time in America. What a film. That's right. One of my favourite podcasts that we've done, I must say. So long ago now, too. Yeah, it holds up. You'd think that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is actually the highest rated movie on IMDb to not have a single Oscar nomination. It's impressive. What? It's impressive that it's that high. It's impressive it's high. It's terrible on the Academy not to recognise it at all. Of course, of course. But I guess it it goes in part with how the spaghetti western genre was viewed back then. Yeah, uh, the American-style western films were very clean-cut, whereas spaghetti westerns were very gritty and raw and dirty, and I guess the American audience just played better to the cleaner versions, I guess. Yeah, as you say, this is not an American-made film. This is an Italian-made film. And as such, at the time, one of the things the Italian-made films did was they actually would dub over the dialogue in almost all their movies in post-production. The soundproofing in their studios was so poor that the dialogue wouldn't get picked up properly. Did you notice it in this film? Many times. <laughs> yeah. I, many times I noticed Absolutely. issues with the sound, with the dubbing. Yeah. It was... I mean, you gotta, you do have to give it some allowances. It was made in the 60s, for God's sake. Yeah. Like, this is a really old film now. It's not up to the sound standards that we have become accustomed to. Of course. But it does have a certain charm to it. Oh. In some instances. In others, which we'll talk about later, it's downright annoying. Yep. But, um, but as I said, we'll get to that later. Yes, we will. So this film had a budget of 1.6 million and grossed 6.1 million. Very heavy return on investment there. It is. And important to note, the 1.6 million budget is massive. Absolutely. Back then in the late 60s, mm. huge. Yeah, massive budget, especially for this style of Western as well. Yep. Clint Eastwood, who had previously done A Fistful of Dollars and For a Few Dollars More. Correct. He's obviously the star of this. Well, I say he's the star. He's the most well-known name in the film. He's the first Bill. Yeah, he is the first Bill. He demanded 250000 to be in this film, plus a new Ferrari, <laughs> plus 10% of the profits in the US. Wow. 10%. You sneaky bastard. That's enormous. That's massive. Did, he, did they agree to that? Yeah. So what he picked up? An extra $610,000. I mean, if that is US box office. It is. It, well, yeah, he did then. Wow. Oh, wow. Actually, no. No, no, no. I'll take that back. Yeah, that's what the box office was, but that's not profit. All right, so what's the profit there? Like 4.5. That's still $450,000. Yeah, it's a lot. But you take into account marketing, cost of distribution. I'm sure there's all these sorts of costs a studio could have put in to decrease the, yeah. the appearance of the profit. <laughs> But either way... Either way, he probably made more money than his flat rate. He made a very tidy sum. And this film... Now, I don't know what the culture was like around him in the 60s, but this film is apparently what launched him into stardom. So, even though he had done the two previous ones, this is the one that had his career take off from. What a career. Still going. Yeah, I mean... With the mule coming up? It's incredible. Have you heard of the mule? No, I have not. It looks really good. Is it a Western? No. Is he starring or directing? Starring and directing. Who else is in it? Bradley Cooper. Could be good. Do you want to know what the plot is? Nah, honestly, I'd rather not these days. Hmm, All right. You're no fun. (laughs) Just shut down all my conversations. Well, I know I'm going to see it. I don't need to know more about it. (laughs) Just on Eastwood, he's so iconic in his look and mannerisms in this film, and as well as the other Dollars films that he did. But this cigar 
that is a massive part of this movie. Yeah. He actually hated smoking cigars. And Sergio Leone, who is known for his perfectionism, would repeatedly try and get more takes from different angles. And Clint Eastwood would just get so fed up and say, you'd better make this the last one because I'm about to throw up. (laughs) That's how much he hated smoking cigars. Give it a rest, Eastwood. Come on. Apparently, their relationship actually was not that great after this film. And he got asked to be in Leone's film Once Upon a Time in the West and turned it down. He didn't want... He did, he'd had enough of it. Was it because of Leone or just he was moving on to like his films? I've heard it's because of Leone. All right. Fair enough. Plus, I mean, at that point, when you're a massive American star, why would you want to go make a painful movie in Italy or Spain? Yeah. This was actually filmed largely in Spain. In the Spanish deserts. Well, you know, there are a lot of films that technically take place in a country that are filmed elsewhere. Like, look, for example, The uh, the Matrix that was filmed in Australia, but it largely takes place in The Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> Which Australia is a part of. <laughs> nah, fair enough. All right. Are you ready to get into this film? No, I am not, because let's give it a rating, shall we? We shall. <laughs> With an average rating of 8.9 over nearly 600,000 ratings, it is currently sitting on the IMDb Top 250 list at number 9. Insanely high. Massively high. I actually looked at the 600,000 ratings and thought, maybe there's not as many, like drastically less compared to the other really, really high movies there. Mm. It's not that bad. Like, you got Shawshank and Dark Knight, they have about 2 million. 12 Angry Men has less ratings than this. I think Schindler's List has pretty f- limited ratings as well. Yeah. So, yeah, it's that's not the reason why it's, it's so up. high. Like, you got a lot of people voting this very, very highly. Mm. Well, let's see if we rated that high, Dean. Yeah. Why don't we get into it? All right, Handy, you got a plot summary for us this week? Very simple one here, Dean. A bounty hunting scam joins two men in an uneasy alliance against a third in a race to find a fortune in gold buried in a remote cemetery. Well said. Thank you. I've gotten good at it. All right, straight into it. The opening credits. Bang! That song, quality. Incredibly iconic. Get you pumped up. I was pumped to be watching this when this came up. Yeah, it is one of the most well-known scores in any movie ever. (laughs) Oh, I could do that all night. Please don't. No, I won't. I'll stop. And even, like, the gunshots cut into it as well. Like, they're so... So loud, so dramatic. Yeah, it's right in your face from the get-go. As they're bringing up various people in the opening credits, they're gunshotted onto the screen. Yep. Which is amazing. Like, you see this opening credits and you think, wow, what fast-paced, exciting action film are we in for? And then you get this first scene, which is just... It's a test of patience. Is that, what you, is that what you took from that? From the intro? No, I'm talking about the patience testing of the next scene. I mean, it's incredibly slow. Is it not supposed to be? I'm not saying it's incredibly slow by accident. Is it? Was it a negative, though, for you? You just said this and going, oh, jeez, come on. It wasn't a negative. I'm just saying it contrasts against the opening credits, which are so exciting, massively. Yeah, okay, fair enough. I see your point there. I love, <laughs> I love the literal tumbleweeds blowing around. Not ironically, like I'm so used to the tumbleweed now being a joke. <laughs> yeah. You know, you hear, you, someone tells a joke, you put a gif up of the tumbleweed. Yeah. <laughs> that, that wasn't funny at all. No. But you see it here, it's like, oh, wow, that actually was yeah, a big one. This was legit. <laughs> <laughs> so we get a close-up of this man staring down two guys on their horses. They start heading towards each other, hand on the guns. Like, the tension is there. You, you don't know what's going to happen here. I thought I didn't know if these guys were ready to take on each other. I thought they were in a Mexican standoff at yeah. one point. I'm like, wow, these guys are at odds. And then it's all for nothing. Like, they do it just to... It's sort of like a, uh, a fake out 
from Sergio Leone here. It's like you think these two groups are at odds, but really they walk up to each other standing in front of the tavern door and it's like, holy shit, what are they going to do to each other? You know, one guy moves the jacket, gets his hand ready on the gun. Yep. Like, gee, they're close. Bang, they run into the tavern. Yeah, and I think it's Sergio Leone setting up for us that you don't know what's going to happen here. You might be thinking something, but it's going to be something completely different. Mm. So they all barge in there and get gunned down immediately and out bursts the window is the ugly... Yeah, and the music that accompanies the freeze frame as yeah. well. And to have it like the ugly and you see this this guy jump yeah. out, it's like, oh God. <laughs> he looks like nothing, like this disheveled man. Yep. He's anything but. That's right. Uh, Tuco. And he quickly rides off into the distance and You get that reveal that he'd killed all the three guys. There's no one else uh, in there. Ah, he didn't kill all three of them. He killed two of them. Okay. The other one is the first guy that we saw. He's the one that comes back later for the bath. Is he really? Yeah. When that guy came back, he was it was shot like we were meant to know who it was. Yeah. I'm looking, I'm like, who could this guy be? I did not remember him at all. That okay. makes sense. Cool. Well, I'm glad I was able to fill that void for you. Did he have only one arm then? Yeah, apparently he, he must have lost it in this gunfight. Oh, so he had two arms. I'm pretty sure he did. Because that's the thing for me. I thought I would remember a man with only one arm, and I didn't remember seeing anyone because with one arm. Because later on, he says to him that, I've learned to shoot with my right arm now, or something like, or my left arm, whatever, whichever one it is. Meaning that he lost this arm, and now he's learned. It's been a while since it's been like eight months since he's seen him, so he's learned to use his other arm properly. Where'd you get the timeline from? Uh, they say it later on in the film. There's been eight months. The one arm man says it to him. No, I think they one of the others say it. I remember hearing something about eight months. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, a great intro to the ugly character of Tuco here. Tuco Salamanca. Nah, not that Tuco. Um. <laughs> Yeah, so Tuco played by Eli. What do we do? Are we going Wallach or Wallach? Wallach. 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 No, Wallach. What did we say? Played by Eli Wallach. 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 <laughs> Interestingly, Eli Wallach and Sergio Leone actually spoke very little English and communicated in French. I did see that. And again, just like in Once Upon a Time in America, there must have been a lot of issues and. Problems that arose from him not being able to speak English in a film that's English language. How many times are you going to bring up Once Upon a Time in America in this movie? What's it been I want, so far? I want the count. Is it two or three It's so been far? two so far. <laughs> <laughs> who's got the running tally? Hmm. So we have our next scene here. It starts off with a boy who's working on a water wheel, I believe it is, moving the mule around to scoop up water. Yeah, it's fascinating. But before that, we get something actually great, which is the exact same music from Kill Bill Volume 2. I was just about to bring that up. <laughs> like, I was... I, the scene came on and I'm like, gee, that music is so similar to what Tarantino <laughs> used in Volume 2. And then as I went on, I'm like, holy shit, that is the music that he yeah. used. Yeah. It's crazy. The scene where uh, at the the chapel. Yeah, kiddo sees Bill for the first time after yeah. leaving him. Fantastic song. Loved it. Oh, it's, it's amazing. Just on Tarantino, he actually called The Good, The Bad and The Ugly... The best directed film of all time. I did say that too. And also the greatest achievement in the history of cinema. And when did he say this though? This is high praise. Well, must have been before he made all of his films. Yes, I was going to say. <laughs> which are obviously now his favourite <laughs> movies of all time. <laughs> but what is good with this song is that this is where we get the bad roll up. And just going with this music, you can tell this is going to be a serious, serious dude. And he is a serious dude. Yeah. This guy. All right. Now, what, if, what do you call this guy? Angel eyes. Yeah, because I, uh, before... Are you calling him the bad? No, <laughs> I call him Sentenza. Okay. Nah, angel eyes for me. He's listed in IMDb casting credits as Sentenza, and I was waiting the whole movie to I actually... I believe it's slash angel eyes, 
Yeah. Okay. But I was waiting the whole movie for someone to actually refer to him as a Sentenza. I don't believe anyone actually does. It's always Angel Eyes. And I read that in the US version, they actually cut out all the Sentenza mentions because they wanted to keep this theme of the man with no name. And I guess with Tuco, there was just so many mentions of Tuco, <laughs> they couldn't not. Yeah, he has to stand out though. Oh, and does he ever? Does he ever? So we get this very long scene here. Started off with a very long stare down. There is a long period of time where Angel Eyes is just staring at this guy who I don't think he's given a name. And you can just see the fear in this man's face. Yeah. And you see the family are ushered away and they're, they're removed and he sits down and he starts eating. But Angel Eyes does not break eye contact with him. No, he's like, very menacing. He's, he's there for business. Definitely there for business. And they talk openly about what he's being paid to do. Yeah. Like how much he's been paid and the guy gives him this $1,000 and you sort of think, oh, is this going to sway him? Is this going to save him? Definitely not. Definitely not. Because he's all about the business. Once he gets paid, the business will be carried out. And I love how this comes back in the next scene. Oh, isn't it good? Where he tells his employer of the $500, yes, I've, I've taken care of this man. He's dead. I've got the name that you wanted of Bill Carson. Now, he also gave me $1,000 and I think uh, he wanted me to kill you. And, yeah, I'm going to kill you. Bye. Yeah. The other guy's off. I'm like, Haha, what a idiot. It's like, well, I do carry out my businesses. <laughs> yep. Shoots him through the pillow. But he also mentions here about the cash box as well. And yeah. The, the- I mean, this is where we're first introduced to the main MacGuffin of the story. Pretty much. So, we've had an intro to two of the three characters. I guess it's time to get the third one. The main one, I guess. Blondie. Now, is it just me? Or is he not that blonde? Well, I think he is a very dirty, gruffy man. That probably plays with the dark blonde hair that he's got. Mind you, how often do we see him without the hat on? Pretty much when he's dishevelled in the desert with no water. I don't think of Clint Eastwood. Obviously, now he's very grey, but <laughs> grey. Like you look at like I've never seen Dirty Harry, but you look at Dirty Harry and stuff. He's he's got brown hair. Well, pe- just, people can have different hair colours throughout their I, life. I found it very odd that he was blondie and not very blonde. I was born with black hair. I was born with blonde hair. I thought you were going to say I was born with no hair. Well, I probably was, but as a kid, I had blonde hair. Moving on from that interesting note. Yep. We just thought we'd give a little bit of piece of ourselves to the community. You're welcome. Yes. So we do get a standoff here with Blondie. And I find that you look at Blondie and how relaxed he is in it. Like, this is someone who's uber confident in his abilities. Yep. And the way he's standing with his hand in his pockets... And the other guy, you know, moves the coat, starts getting the hand ready. He still hasn't moved. He's just got his hand in his pocket. Because he's a sneaky bastard who I'm has like, a hole in his what jacket. What is this guy doing? And then, yeah, that reveal of the hole in the jacket, yeah, it's, it's great. He's ready to go. Just whoop, just pulls it up. Done. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, really good. It actually shows as well like, how intelligent he is. As You see him several steps ahead of Tuco and Angel Eyes throughout the, the duration of this film in regards to the cemetery and the tombstone. Yeah, absolutely. So the result of him killing this guy in this standoff is actually that he gets he gets Tuco. He gets ugly. Yeah. What's the reward? It's two thousand at this it's point. It's two thousand, yeah. yeah. And you're sort of thinking, all right, he's like he's introduced as a good this yeah. is our good guy of the film. He takes him in to get collected and this Actually, before you get into that, he's not introduced as the good yet. The good hasn't come up yet. Oh, hasn't it? No. Even okay. though we are kind of aware this is probably pretty the, obvious. <laughs> yeah, the next person that we're waiting for. So you see him go into town, you see him go to the sheriff, and Tuco's screaming, yelling like there's no tomorrow. And this, when you finally get this reveal that this whole thing is a scam, now, I don't, does Tuco know about it at this point? I think he does. I think this is because when he kills the three guys and gets him, he's like, oh, now you're mine. And then it cuts to him in the town where Tuco's going off his nut. 
he has to know at this point. Like he's he's hamming it up. He's yeah. spitting on him. He's yeah. you know just talking, 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 talking. He has to know here because if he shoots the rope and he just rides off, why is he going to come back? Yeah, he's ready. Yeah, he knows he, he knows what to expect. Yeah, great reveal. I will say at this point, I've seen this film once, mm-hmm. maybe twelve years ago. I'm about the same. Once, don't know how long ago though. Really? Yeah, ten years maybe, maybe more. Yeah, God, be about that. I thought you um. We're a much bigger fan of this film. And I don't mean rating-wise. I just mean I thought you would have seen it multiple times. Because I have heard you speak highly of it in the past. When I first watched it, I absolutely loved it. And I've just gone with that over 15 years or so that I love this film. Never gone back and revisited it, though. So, second time viewing for me. Hmm. But, like, all these plot points, I had no memory of them whatsoever. I did remember this fake hanging. Uh, I don't remember any of it. I remember that they ended up in the cemetery. That was it. Well, if all the memories of the film, the cemetery part is a good one to have. Yeah, it's not bad. So, we get sort of take two of this uh, little scam that they're pulling off. And here's where we get Angel Eyes into into their story briefly. And he comes across as a very smart man. Someone's talking to him about how, oh, this guy's going to be hung and all this stuff. And he says, oh, not every man with a noose around their neck is hung. And it's like, well, this guy's seriously switched on. He knows what's going on. Can you talk about an angel on the shoulder? Yeah, he talks about a protector. He said even the even the ugliest men have a protector. And he looks around and he sees Blondie standing. He's like, yep, yeah, it's him. What do you think of the the quick little... Pretty much every time Blondie appears on screen. Or something that Blondie does is always met with this... It's great. What do you think it when he shoots the rope he shoots all the hats off as well. You see him all fly off every single one. He's a pretty good aim, I'll tell you, this guy. I mean, obviously he's quite handy with the pistol. A rifle too. But it was more for me, I think, because he's just one man. So if he shoots his noose, like there are 30 people sometimes standing there. Yeah. Like why aren't they turning around with their guns? But if he immediately shoots the hats off the three main guys, they're backing away. People yeah. are running. Like yeah. They don't know it's one guy. Exactly. And if they do realise it's one guy, it's one guy with serious skills. Yeah. Well, in the second one, he's like on the road. Like, he's pretty close to the ordeal, whereas the first one, he's, I think he's up further away, so they might not be yep. able to see him, but yep. maybe he's getting more confident every time he does it. Maybe. Funniest line of the movie coming up here, though. <laughs> Such ingratitude after all the times I've saved your life. So he takes Tuco out, 70 miles away from the nearest town, and says to him, listen, I'm done with this. Which we'll get to, but is just such a dumb way to do it. Why don't you just let him hang? Yeah, great point. Yeah. Like, what he is doing here is risking his life with someone who he knows is a, like a killer, like a very talented criminal. Yeah. But he takes him 70 miles out, he leaves him there, and he's like, eh, you can walk back if you can. And Tuco starts yelling abuse at him, <laughs> as you would. Yeah. And he says, such ingratitude after all the times I've saved your life. And then the good comes up. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, good intro. Good intro to all three of them, honestly. Like, I know he's meant to be the good of the title here, but how good is he really? He's the goodest out of these three. Yeah, this is a man who is swindling local law keepers out of their money, saving a murdering rapist. This is our good. This is the best we've got in this film. He's got to go. He's got to do what he's got to do. He's got, he's got to make a living, all right? Oh, it's crazy. <laughs> now, this next scene, we get Angel Eyes beating the shit out of Maria. Before that, though, with this character, Maria, you see her get thrown off this horse by these these blokes who don't, like discard her like she's nothing, and she gets up and she looks 
raging. She looks pissed. She's ready to give him a verbal abuse. And what does she say? You found me right. It's like, whoa, calm down, love. There's no need for that kind of offensive language, okay? <laughs> and if we needed more establishment of the angel eyes as the bad, like you said, him smacking this woman around is all the info we need. He, like, backhands her several times for this information. Mm, and the actor, Lee Van Cleef, actually refused to slap the actress Rada Rasimov. For real. But this actress was saying, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. Like, I don't mind, you know, make it look real. You know, hit me a little. It's It's okay. He flat out refused to do it. They had to get in a stand-in, a double, to actually slap her. Mm, What a gentleman. Well, he is. He he said in life he has two rules. He won't hit women or kick dogs. The opposite of Sean Connery. Jesus. (laughs) Have you not seen that interview with Sean Connery? No, I try to forget it, but yeah. With Barbara Walters, when when she's like, you've gone on record that you say you need to hit women. He's like, yeah, they deserve a slap sometimes. Like, he's just like, like, whatever, I'm I'm okay with it. It's like, jeez, calm down, Bond. Yeah. (laughs) So, against all the odds, Tuco makes it back to town. What a surprise. (laughs) Of course. I mean, he's he's one of the three-ranked characters. He's not going to die, like, 20 minutes into the film. Yeah, he goes straight to a gun shop. No, he goes straight to a horse trough. Get some water. Yeah. Yes, he does. Yes. Then he goes to the gun shop. Now, watching this, my thoughts were that this man knows an incredible amount about guns. I have since learned, since discovered in my research, that this actor, Eli Wallach, knew absolutely nothing about guns. And Sergio Leone actually just told him, listen, just do whatever you want with them. You know, make it look good. And the way he handles them, the way he, like, takes them apart, he listens so intently to the sound of the barrel rolling. It looks he looks like an expert. Yeah, but it's all shit. Which is amazing because Clint Eastwood does it later on with one of his guns when he's looking at it. <laughs> he does this rolling of the barrel listening. I thought, gee, that's... What are you listening for? I guess for how smooth it is, make yeah, sure it doesn't click. jam. Yeah. Now, I guess it would be a necessity in those days, especially for a criminal, to be a gun expert. You don't want it jamming on you in a crucial situation. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> And just seeing him go out back and take apart these targets was awesome. Especially that last one. Yeah. It goes right through the neck and it stays there enough for him to knock it down with his foot. And even the the owner of the place gives him a look like, man, you missed it, eh? (laughs) (laughs) Your shit. Just calm down, mate. Did you not see the first two shots? (laughs) But obviously he robs him for, you know, all his money as well. And the way way this actually ended up was, I thought was great. He says, how much? The guy's like, oh... 30? He's like, no. 50? Yeah, and you're like, what? You can't go up in price. Yeah, I'm like, what's going on? He's like, 200? That's all I've got. I was like, holy shit. Because he just, he casually just points the gun to, he's like, come on, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. And I love how he gets the close sign, pops in his mouth, basically saying, keep your mouth closed. I I wasn't a fan of that at all. Really? Yeah. I thought it was stupid. Why? I don't know, it just felt like it was very childish. Of him telling him to keep his mouth shut? Yeah. I thought it was very childish, and I actually read up on it that it wasn't scripted. It was improvised by Eli Wallach. I think it, I don't think it's played off as childish. It's not. He's not just putting in his mouth for fun. He's not like, "Hey, open your mouth." I, so I, can- I think it is for fun. He puts I, it in and laughs like a little girl. He gives him a nod. He it's a close sign. Puts his mouth, aka keep your mouth closed. Yeah, and the, get, and the guy I nods like, it. "Yep, I get it." Rather than saying, "You don't tell anyone about this," he could just walk away. I'm saying it. Eh, unnecessary. Why not have a little bit of fun? You got a gun in someone's face. Put a put a close sign in their mouth. <laughs> <laughs> now I wasn't a fan of this next scene either. Yeah, me neither. And it was so weird because it's Tuco walking around what looks like this big cave, maybe, mm-hmm. and he's talking. And I'm 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 watching it, thinking, who is he talking to? And I'm looking around for people. I'm like, there's no one here. 
he starts talking about, oh, working for a living and he knows about some money. If only I had friends. And, and he gives the eyeballs look around like, Meh. But I, honestly, I wasn't picking up at all. Oh, I picked up on that. As soon as he started looking, like, slightly looking around, like, you realize that he's talking to someone who is there listening to him. I just, I was thinking to myself at this point, it just made no sense for this character of Tuco to be saying all this stuff to himself. And there are actually a few points in this film where I was watching it and felt like what I was watching, what was happening, made no sense, but then was later made good. Example. And I was really... How Blondie tells Tuco the name of a gravestone and it's not there. And I thought to myself, how the hell would he know a random person's name at this grave? Oh, did you not remember that it was the one next to it? No. Oh, I did. And I'm watching, I'm like, this is stupid. And then it got revealed and it was great. Okay, cool. So there's a f- Honestly, there's a few of them throughout this movie. I'm like, this is silly, but it comes good. Which is good. Having said that, this is actually a scene that wasn't in the original cut. This is one of the scenes that was later added in. Yeah, okay. And they actually recorded the audio for it years later after Lee Van Cleef had actually died. So, his audio was... I know he's not in this scene. You're looking at me funny. I was looking at you with intent. I was taking in your words of wisdom. Well, so you should. Can't help it if I'm just that look of confusion every time you talk. (laughs) Where was I? So, this is one of the scenes where they went back years later and added in dubbed um, voices over their lines. And this was the first scene that I really picked up on really bad dubbing. That's interesting because I picked up on the dubbing almost immediately with that scene with Angel Eyes and the guy he kills when Mm. they're eating the soup. Yeah, okay. But it does make sense that this would be one of the scenes they put back in because it's one of the scenes they could easily take out and it wouldn't really make that much of an impact. So we're into the town now, and you see that Tuco is in here to try and ambush Blondie with mm. his three new friends. Yep. There's a brief talk here about the Civil War as all the soldiers are going through the town. Dean, do you have any knowledge about the Civil War? No. I don't I don't. I wasn't either. sure if you would either. I've got no uh, idea. A lot of our listeners are Americans. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure they have a fantastic understanding of the Civil War. Yeah. But honestly, we down here in Australia, we have no idea. We are... Basically, at the lowest point of the mainland of Australia, we got no idea about the Civil War, unfortunately. Okay, here's what I know about the Civil War. There's red and a blue side. I think there's Confederates. Yeah, Confederates and- General um, Lee? General Lee is someone. Gettysburg, that's something. Is there an Oswald as well? (laughs) Didn't he kill a president? Wasn't there a flag, like a a white X with red in the back? I think it was red and blue. And I think, honestly, I think- We probably sound like the biggest flogs right now. Even if we do, they love it. (laughs) They're going to be thinking, you idiots. Nah, I think the crux of it, though, was about whether or not slavery should be um, allowed. Okay. I think it was all about abolishing slavery and the South were against it and the North were pro against slavery. So, by that, the South lost. I think the South lost, yeah. Interesting. Because- Good job. Who was the president? Was it Lincoln? Could have been Lincoln. Jefferson? Washington? Ford? He was the first one, wasn't he? <laughs> Nixon? Woodrow? <laughs> Woodrow. All right. We've gone off topic. I'm glad you did bring that up, though. Yeah. I'm glad I'm not the only one watching this going, man, i got no idea what this Civil War stuff is about. <laughs> so, Tuco sends his three lackeys up to take out Blondie. Surely we know their fates are sealed already. Surely. Classic red shirts. I got massive no country for old men vibes in this scene. 
where you've got a man in a hotel room, uh-huh. he's doing something, and then all of a sudden he becomes aware of a possible danger outside the room, and it's the tension here and the build-up, whilst not as good as perfected by the Collins in No Country for Old Men, amazing scene. This scene was very good. It was great. I love... He doesn't He doesn't hear them, only because that. Only because the soldier stopped. That yeah. He hears that spur, yep. and that's it. That's all he needs. He's perked up, and he starts to slowly put his bullets in the gun. Yeah. Whilst trying not to make a sound as well. Yeah, exactly. And as soon as the soldiers kick back in, he starts racing for it. And it's so good. He kick the door in, bang, just takes them all out. And even that last guy looks at him and goes, you spurs. Just as you rub that little salt in, like, that's what did you in. Yeah, and we get this reveal. He turns around. Tuco's gone through the window. Very smart. I mean, he's not a dumb man, Tuco. No, no, definitely not. One thing I noticed he was doing as he was sitting there by himself, cleaning his gun, you know, Scrubbing it out. I imagine that'd uh, be one of the more entertaining things to do back in the day when you didn't have a TV and podcast to listen to. Didn't have much. <laughs> like, really, they're all going after this money. What are they going to do with it? Good Buy point. a bigger house? Like, <laughs> really, what is there to do? Drink whiskey Drink. and fuck whores? Like, <laughs> what, what is there to do? I, I don't said get it a little differently, but pretty much the same thing. I don't, I don't, don't, all I ever see people do in Westerns is drink and mate. 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 Well, let's put some Aussie slang to it. Fornicate. Mm. I mean, look at Westworld. <laughs> look at Deadwood. Look at all of them. Ah, to be alive in the West. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just realised. You creepy bastard. <laughs> all right. This is one of many times where I'm screaming at the TV, figuratively. Just shoot him now. Yes. There is so many scenes in this film where... They piss fart around and talk about killing and devise these long, slow deaths that they can put people through. If he just shot him now... It's funny because he says it later. Yeah. Why didn't he do it here? He's, he didn't even take his own advice. Nope. But we get this... I guess it's a deus ex machina. This bloody cannon just oh. takes out the wall. Come on. Just stupid coincidence. Yeah. Oh, that was ridiculous. I mean, we get mentions that the cannons are going off, but it's seriously, not seriously, up, seriously it's, what are the odds? It's not set up well, yeah. and it felt very tacked on. And even, it's not just that the cannon hit, but the cannon would hit in a way where that Tuco falls to the lower floor and, like, Eastwood's fine. Like, that cannon, really, maybe it knocked the stool out, you know? Yeah. Maybe it caused him to hang. That is much more likely. Yeah. So, after a brief little stint of Angel Eyes getting some more info, we get Tuco out searching for Blondie here, and you get the same... Score in this scene throughout the whole movie. And some people might find it repetitive, but I don't care. I bloody love it. Every time it comes on, I'm loving it. Mm. It's puts just you in a good mood. It does put you in a good mood. I love how you see him go from campfire to campfire, always picking up the cigar. He's here. But you also see the smoke starts to get a little... Warmer. Warmer. Bigger. So he knows he's getting closer. Now, I thought, at this point, I thought it was Blondie letting him know... I'm closer, I'm closer, because it seems such a rookie mistake, but he probably doesn't think that he's chasing after him. Surely, that's the only reason he would leave the campfire, go and leave the cigar there. I just have no idea how they are tracking people in this film. And they were talking like hundreds of miles. They talk often about traveling great distances. Mm. There's no social media. There's no <laughs> telephones even. There's, I mean, what they don't have pigeons. How is news actually getting around? There must be... Thousands of these little western towns littered throughout America, and they just seem to find these people so quickly. Blondie checked in at the Southwest Inn. <laughs> exactly. Did you think of that? No, I didn't. I just went along with it because I enjoyed it so much. 
Probably because of the score, honestly. <laughs> but we get another scene here, and it's Blondie. He's picked up the the job again of uh, the Patsy being hanged. I mean, he picked up this guy pretty quickly to get this job done. I mean, if if Tuco's catching up to him like he's just around the corner with these mm. cigars still smoking, yep. how has he already set up this gig where he's going to shoot this rope down? Who knows? I just think this is a guy who has not learned from his mistake. And he pays the price for it. Pretty bad coming up. Yeah, he does. But, yep, unlucky for this shorty guy. Eh? Yeah, that's nasty. <laughs> Probably his first gig too. <laughs> and now we get a lot of long montages of walking through the desert here. It goes on for a while, but it really signifies just how vast this abandoned wasteland is. Yeah, exactly. And again, we have this situation where Tuco has this man dead to rights. Could kill him now. Problem's done. Nope, let's walk. And he is going along with him here. Yeah, but he wants to enjoy this. He wants to see him suffer. He wants to put him through what he did, but he wants to be there to witness it. It's terrible. And he wants to rub it in his face. You know, he's on the horse. He's got the water. He plays around with him. Like Yeah, that scene where he's washing his feet and doing all that stuff, that was added in as well. That wasn't part of it. Oh, really? Yeah. I like that scene. Did you? Yeah. I mean, Blondie's face is looking so messed up now. It's bad. I actually thought the makeup was bad in this bit. Oh, really? I didn't mind it. I thought it was good. I didn't look at it and go, that's, that's terrible makeup. He's walking in a desert, right? Yeah. So, heat. Burns. Scabs. It's, dry lips. I mean, is this days? It feels like one day. It feels like one day. Did you not see the long montage we just had? Yeah, it was long montage, but then he starts like saying, oh, it'll be night soon. Better hurry up. I'm just like, yeah, I didn't buy it. But I must say, there is a fantastic shot in this montage. Towards the end, we get Blondie rolling down the hill, stopping exactly where the camera is. Yep. Then in this same shot, we get Tuco walking up at the top of the sand dune, nonchalantly throwing this rolled up paper or something circular to the side, and it rolls down the hill exactly into where Blondie was. Was that a water bottle? It looked like paper. looked like rolled up paper. It didn't look like water. I thought it was like an empty water bottle. Maybe it was. But that shot would not have been easy to, to do. Well, Sergio Leone has a knack for perfection, so maybe it took 50 takes. Maybe. And again, we get this deus ex machina. He's got the gun pointed. He's about to kill Blondie. What's this? Bunch of horses are coming. This is where the main plot point starts. Yeah. This whole thing, this whole, this whole Bill Carson being found by Tuco in the back of this carriage, revealing to him the cemetery... Then he runs off, he comes back to find Blondie there, who has been told the gravestone, Yep. and Bill's dead. It's fantastic. The actual plot of this movie, starting mainly from here, brilliant. It is good, because you've also had this, I guess it's about, it's actually been an hour. Hmm. It's been an hour since the start. You've had this hour to get to know these characters and see the tension they've got between them now, like their rivalry, and now they ha- they are forced... They're forced to work together. Tuco has to, like, prop him up. Oh, you're my best friend. We'll get you, we'll get you better. We'll get you better. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's great that they have to do this now. In, they have to semi-trust each other to get to this money. But you know, in the back of their minds, they don't trust each other. What are they going to do when they get there? Yeah. Little did they know, they've got angel eyes on the back of them, too. Mm. So they wind up at this church? Monastery. Chapel. Chapel. That'll do. They wind up at this chapel. And the acting from Wallach here, when he's outside the door... And the priests are going in and out, and he sees the, the I guess, drawing or poster on the wall, maybe not poster, of <laughs> Jesus Christ, and he just like starts to pretend to pray. So when the priest comes out, he can, oh, baby Jesus, tell me he's okay. <laughs> what do you think of all the little praying he did throughout the film when he did the cross on him on himself multiple, multiple times? Good. It adds a layer of complexity to him a bit. Yeah. 
Like, this is someone who definitely considers himself a religious man. He's not doing it for the benefit of other people when he does it. No. He obviously believes in God, and he feels some level of... Maybe not regret. He feels... He knows it's sin. He knows what he's doing is bad. He's like... If you didn't see that, listeners, <laughs> Dean just did the cross on him. And then realised that it was an audio show and rolled my eyes in stupidity. <laughs> nah, but when he finally gets into the room to see Blondie, he's so desperate, he's pleading to Blondie. This like, is hilarious. Put it, opening his eye through the hands to see if it's working. <laughs> like, it's so good. And then he realises, he thinks to himself, hang on, if I tell him, because he just gets told that he'll be fine in a couple of days. He yeah. goes in there and he's like, oh my God, you're going to die. Just <laughs> tell me, where was I? I tell you. Come on, why why let this goal go to waste? Gets him to lean in and throws the, uh, the what was it? It didn't look like water. It wasn't water, it was brown. Yeah, or maybe it was dirty water. Maybe. So coincidentally, Tuco's brother is at this chapel. I did not like this scene. I'll tell you now. Yeah, I wish they didn't have backstory for Tuco. Well, they don't have backstory for anyone. I know. I wish they kept it, like, mysterious. Everyone's mysterious. Like, we don't need to learn about the fate of Tuco's parents. We don't care. As you say, we have the mystery with the other characters. Now, I know this is the most well-fleshed-out character, but... Does this make you feel a little sympathetic for him? Like, do we want to feel sympathetic for him? Well, Sergio Leone has gone on record saying that each of these characters represent different parts of him and his personality, but he said he actually relates most to Tuco. So, I feel like... Is it because he's hideously ugly? (laughs) Wow! (laughs) That's mean. I'm asking you a question. I didn't say he is. No, because it's someone who, you know, has done some wrong things and you've got to have sympathy for. And he definitely tries to get the audience to have some sympathy for Tuco here. Yeah, but I didn't like it. No, I didn't at all. And then they double down on it in the next scene where we see Tuco and Blondie leaving. And Tuco's like, oh, my brother, he's so happy I was there. He wants me to stay there the whole time. And he just craps on about how much his brother loves him, which is obviously could not be further from the truth. I don't understand why he feels the need to try and impress Blondie, someone who he just tortured and tried to kill, who he's now forced to work with, to come across as this great guy. Like, it's so unnecessary. I think here he's still trying to put on that act like he was when he was sitting on the bed with him. Like, he's he's trying to be, oh, I'm your friend. We're going we're gonna to split this money, aren't we? Like, he's trying mm. to appeal to him. It's just pointless. They should not have done it. I really love this next scene, though. We've got Tuco and Blondie riding through the desert, and they see this massive group of soldiers coming towards them in the distance. And they're both, like, they're obviously wearing the grey uniform, and they're, they're staring, trying to find out, you know, they're saying, oh, what colour's the uniform? They peer and they're peering, oh, it's grey. And they're like, yeah, yeah, go whatever team the greys are. They're like, oh, go that general. And he looks and it's like, oh, Lee? Lee, yeah, Lee, yeah, we love you, blah, blah, blah. And the guys all ride up and they're in these grey, almost white uniforms. And they just stare him down. And you're like, what's going on here? He starts hitting his clothes to reveal it's just dust. And they're in the blue uniforms. They're Unlucky. Like, oh, shit. <laughs> and now they end up at prison, which I did not expect. Yeah, so they're all lined up here and they basically get a roll call and the name Bill Carson comes up and mm. you, the neck shoots up, you turn around and it's Angel Eyes. It's a great reveal. Yeah. And finally, everything's joining together now. He's involved. Which you needed to happen because we've got these three characters and even though we know Angel Eyes from the start is looking for the money, there's been no connection there. Yeah. So to have them finally all connected, it really does bring 
the whole story together. Yeah, and you can see that he knew that Bill Carson was part of this side of the war. So what does he do? He gets involved in it. He becomes like this general, this, I don't know, this mercenary kind of person for the war, for what, for whatever team he was on. We'll just call it the Blues. The Blues and Greys. The Blues, yeah. Interesting that they already knew who Angel Eyes was. Like, he is this know, celebrity, I guess. Hmm. He is known. And it's funny because I have not seen the other two films, A Fistful of Dollars and A Few Dollars More. I thought that they knew him because they had had some sort of interaction in the other films. But I since learned this is actually a prequel to those two films because this takes place during the American Civil War and the other two films take place after the Civil War. It's funny you say that, Dean, because in For a Few Dollars More, Lee Van Cleef plays a completely different character. Yeah, and not just a completely different character. He is a good guy. Yeah. He is a wholesome person, apparently. He is. So it would have been very odd for people watching this in real time, having come off those two films, to see this with this actor playing a completely different person. For me, it kind of reminds me, let me go back to my Bond fandom, there is a, there is a man named uh, Joe Don Baker. He plays a villain in The Living Daylights, but then he comes back as a ally in Goldeneye as a completely different person. So using the same actor for different roles in a shared kind of universe. Mm. So he tells him that these two are going to get some special treatment. Mm. And Tuco's like, oh, special treatment. <laughs> and all the body does is like, oh, look, he, he knows what special treatment means. Mm. So we get this great scene here with Angel Eyes and Tuco. And Angel Eyes is definitely whining and dining this guy. He's really trying to make him feel comfortable. He's feeding him. He's giving him drinks. And, and at the same time, I feel like Tuco may have known what was that something was up. Because he is eating this food and drinking this wine like it's his last meal. Well, you'd imagine he hasn't eaten and drank that much recently. I would be going to town on that stuff too, regardless of if you thought it was the end or not. Yeah. How ironic that uh, Angel Eyes, the so-called bad, is playing the role of the good guy here. Good cop, I guess you could say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That doesn't last very long. No. <laughs> because once he realises... Because he's, he's trying to get from him why he's taking the name Bill Carson. Yeah. And he knows that Tuco knows who Bill Carson is because he has found the tobacco case. And once Angel Eyes realises that Tuco is not going to say anything of his own free will, they go to town on him. They beat the shit out of this guy. This is a pretty violent scene, I must say. Yeah. And you get this great shot of, like, they're playing the music outside, the other prisoners, and they're all looking at the house, and they know what's going on. And, like, one of them is, like, looks like he's about to cry. He's got this, I wasn't sure if it was sweat or a tear, but he's got this, just this big wad of water right at his eye, and they all know that, I guess they're all thankful it's not them. They are mortified and terrified of this room because they know what Angel Eyes does there. Yeah. And we've already seen the scene with Angel Eyes and his superior who's telling him, I know what goes on, do not do it. So he, he does set up Angel Eyes, even though he's being really nice to him at the start, as someone who is known to torture these people. I like how they're using the music to drown out the sounds. Once he's done with Tuco, we actually get Blondie in. So it's clear at this point that... Angel Eyes has gotten the information he wants from Tuco. And Blondie's sort of walking in expecting to be beaten. And Angel Eyes is not like that at all. He wants to form a partnership with him. And Blondie's just like, well, why aren't you beating me, basically? Yeah. He's like, would you have talked? Probably not. What's the point? Like, clearly he has a lot more respect for Blondie yeah. than he does for this low-life, ugly Tuco. <laughs> so we get another scene that was actually added in at a later date here 
where we get Angel Eyes and Blondie sitting around this campfire. And I don't know, it was a weird scene because you see this guy creeping up sort of behind Angel Eyes and Blondie just pulls out his gun and fires. And I thought, oh, wow, he's just practically saved Angel Eyes' life. Yeah. But it turns out he didn't, like, shoot to kill him. It was more of a warning. He's like, oh, tell your friends to come out. If they're going to follow us the whole way, they may as well be with us. Get warm around the fire. And I think at this point, it's where Blondie realises... This ain't no partnership. I'm sure he already knew, but you got all of a sudden five or six guys against one. It's actually six because he comments that six is a perfect number. He says six is perfect because he has six bullets left. Yeah, that's and what I would have seen from that. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so while all this is happening, Tuco's being transported on a train with a massive bodyguard with him. And you can tell something's going to happen here with these two because Tuco is giving the shifty eyes a lot here. Hmm. You know, and he says, i got to go take a piss. Can't look at me, though. Can't yeah, he's like, oh, don't stand next to me. I, got, I can't do it while you're watching. Yeah, so while he turns <laughs> so around, this stupid guard, like, yeah. oh, you want me to not look? Here I go, turning away. He grabs hold of him. They hurl out of the train, and he smashes his head on this rock several times. Hmm. Pretty violent again. Pretty violent. Pretty violent. But when he realizes that he's actually handcuffed to him... Doesn't have a hacksaw or anything those days, so he has to smash it with a rock. It's weird that he tries smashing the chain repeatedly with his rock and doesn't ever try to sever the wrist of this man. Surely it'd be much easier to cut through skin and muscle than a chain. You'd have to, you'd have to find out for me because I don't, I don't have any knowledge on hacking off limbs and breaking chains. I feel like it's possible, and I don't think the chain was ever breaking with a rock. I think that's it. Could happen. Well, one thing we do know is that the easiest way is probably get a train to run over it. Is it the easiest way, though? Back in those days, how with the train the track hell, right there. How the hell would Tuco drag up this enormous man up this hill who's unconscious to a train track? You don't know how long he's been doing it for. Fair point. But the train picks up the guy as, as it goes along, scoops him up, drags him along for a while. This is actually one of a couple of instances where Eli Wallach actually nearly died. Now, they did not anticipate this train would have these steps coming out, and they nearly hit him in the head. Wow. And they said, had it hit him, had he put his head up, he would have been decapitated by this train. There's a great scene, though. Like, it looks very... I mean, it looks real. Like, I know it's the 60s, everything looks real, but, man, I just... It was tense. You see this train coming. Tuco's really acting like, oh, my God, <laughs> we're really doing this. And then he creeps away while the train's still there. It's, it was a great scene. It is. But now that he's taking care of his bodyguard, he heads into the town where everyone is staying. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. So, I don't know. This felt a little disjointed to me. Bit of a coincidence? I mean, not just a coincidence, but also Tuco walks into a town. Yeah, you see these soldiers walking through. But when Angel Eyes and his crew are there, it's deserted. Like, I know they're walking through. It just, I felt like Angel Eyes would have seen people. It didn't match up for me that they were the same town. They didn't feel like the same place. No, okay. Fair enough. Anyway. So I didn't we, think anything about it. Okay. So, we get Tuco in the tub and we get wow. this guy. Is this your, is this your, you know? <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> no, surprisingly not. <laughs> we get this guy and we've already spoken about who we believe he may be. There's no question, it is him. Okay, but this man does what Tuco has done a hundred times. Yep. Has him dead to rights, starts talking about it. Did you feel like, did you know that he had this gun, like, primary to go in the tub? I mean, I thought for sure. Yeah. But- It kind of looks like it is the way he's sitting. It's in water. It's in bubbles. He doesn't have the gun in the water, it's out of the water, under the bubbles. a thick layer of bubbles. Although, it does- Thick bubbles? Yes. Have you ever been in a bubble bath? Yes. Hardly thick. What do you mean? They're breezy. They're airy. It's like 
No, I mean thick in size. Yeah, what's wrong with that? I'm not saying they're not airy and breezy. I'm not saying they're dense bubbles. I'm just saying there's a large amount of bubbles. Yeah. But as I was saying before you interrupted me with your stupidity- For him to conceal the gun. They do make a point of showing him pouring in ridiculous amounts of bath salts. This is kind of like a luxury for him. When has he ever been in a bath salt Mm. bath? He doesn't know how to use them. But we do get this great quote from him. When you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. I mean, Tuco says exactly what we've been thinking and what we've been mentioning. This line was actually improvised by Wallach, and the crew loved it so much they burst out laughing. Obviously, they were going to keep it in, but... So, Blondie and Tuco meet up here after Blondie goes for a walk. I mean, this is so stupid. Blondie just gets up, walks away. Angel Eyes is like, uh, you should follow him. Like, what? Mm. It was choppy. This is basically your prisoner. Like, there's no two ways about it. You need this guy. And he kills this guy, shoots the gun. No one comes? Yeah, it's not heard. This is a deserted town. A gunshot would be heard. Yes. But it was good to see Blondie teaming up with Tuco here. They're teaming up as a um, necessity to take out Angel Eyes. And I love how Tuco's like, all right, you stay here. I'll go kill them and come back. Like, he's so confident. Like, I'll take out all these guys. And Blondie's like, there's like six of them. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, you better better come with me. (laughs) And they're walking down the main street here. God damn, that music again. Ah, it's so good. But all these guys, this is another cliche. Terrible aim from all these people. Hmm. They're walking right in the middle of the, the street. Yep. This guy has a rifle lined up at them and misses, misses completely. Yep. But they, you know, with Ram, bang, and he's done. Uh, classic hero shooting there. They never miss. No. I love how they finally, they take out all these guys and they get up to where Angel Eyes was, and there's the note there. See you soon. Idiots. It's for you. <laughs> it was funny. Yeah. Interestingly, that page actually was a page of the script. It does not say, see you soon, idiots on it. It's a script page. <laughs> <laughs> but here's where they're caught by the Confederate camp. Hold on. Let's set this scene up a bit. Are you ready for the worst part of this film? This is ridiculous, this whole scene. Starting with how insane it is that neither one of them, Tuco or Blondie, hear or have any awareness that behind this single bush is an enormous encampment. Well, I did read up that Sergio Leone used these specific shots to keep it confined so that you were in their shoes as well, like you couldn't see your surroundings. I guess it plays like these three characters are so engulfed in this journey to find this hidden treasure that they're completely oblivious to this civil war that's happening around them. Mm. And to have this shot where it's so focused on them and then to open up that, oh, there is this massive war going on, by the Mm. way, so pay attention. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you are right there. But it's it's made even worse because Tuco is saying, oh, don't worry, no one will ever sneak up on me. (laughs) And then it's like, all these guys are just there. Oh, sorry. (laughs) What do you think of the captain of this encampment? Not a whole lot. Nothing. Nah, didn't really do much for me. This this scene, really... As I said, this is easily the worst part of the movie. This is a very long scene. It's built up. This captain is given a story arc, which is ridiculous, that he wants to see this bridge destroyed, which Blondie makes sure he knows before he dies. Who fucking cares? He's the good. No, this is ridiculous. (laughs) This whole war scene is ridiculous. Don't you need to take a little break from... This this? is not a break. This is the big action piece of it. I know the climax comes later, obviously. This is a big action set piece. This would have cost an absolute fortune. 
And they actually stuffed up the bombing of this bridge as well. Did Someone, they? yeah, they were on radio waves of when to set off the explosions. Someone said the wrong thing. They blew it up. Had to rebuild the bridge. Holy shit! Reblow it up. That is unfortunate. It is. Kind of reminds me of Tropic Thunder. Kind of reminds me of Apocalypse Now. That isn't. Which is what Tropic Thunder was ripping off. (laughs) Ah, perfect. But again, this whole thing just highlights the stupidity of war in general. Just a bunch of men killing each other. For this scene, uh, over a bridge. Over a bloody bridge. Mm. All these people die. I did find it funny how they're trying to get the explosives down to the bridge. They can't They can't handle it. It's too heavy. The, the guy goes past on the stretcher, so they <laughs> knock them all out, tip him off, and put the explosives on the on the stretcher. And he's left and going, hey, hey, come on, I need some help. Also, when they get down close to the bridge, they've got to act like they're there to collect bodies. Yeah. So someone else is coming towards them with a body on a stretcher. So they put the stretcher down. They, like, grab this guy's suit jacket, lift him about two inches. The guy walks past. They just drop him. All right, let's go. <laughs> Next. <laughs> Yeah, so while they're putting the dynamite on this bridge, they end up telling each other their little secrets. Did you think that they were lying to each other still? I thought surely both of them are lying to each other. But Tuco's telling the truth. Tuco tells the truth. Yeah. Blondie lies. Yeah. Which is good. Yeah. As I said before, there's no reason for him to tell. What does he care if he dies? What does he care if Tuco gets money or not? Yeah, he's established that he does not care. But they end up blowing up this bridge and it is a good explosion, I'll tell you that. It's fine. It's fine, jeez. I was not into this at all. I tell you now, this was. I'm looking at this film. I'm thinking, all right, is there any fat to this film? This could have been cut and improved the film. And I'm sure when you look at films that are, you know, three hours long, well, when you're going to look at where can we trim this? When you look at Once Upon a Time in America, ding. Not one scene in there is wasted. You look at this film. You've got, uh, I beg to differ on that one. You've got these added scenes in, which we've mentioned, which weren't really necessary. You've got this stupid backstory that they give us for Tuco. Yeah. And now you've got this, what, 15, 20-minute sequence. See, I think the backstory to Tuco could have been cut before this. I didn't mind this. No, I didn't like it. Just get to the cemetery already. And there is stuff you can trim out of Once Upon a Time in America. If you want to hear those thoughts, go back to episode five, where we have a somewhat decent argument about a specific scene. You're talking about how all this stuff can be cut out. I'll tell you something that can be cut out here. This whole after effect of this, showing all the dead bodies and having Blondie put his jacket over this young guy in pain. All right, we've established that war's bad. Do we need to see that he does have some compassion, compassion, some moral being of himself? Some empathy? Yeah. Is it necessary? Because straight away after this, he starts blowing cannons at Tuco. You know my thoughts about it. No, it's not necessary. Right, so moving on, (laughs) you see Tuco riding off into the distance, like abandoning him. So he just starts blowing up cannons at a... His aim with cannons is insanely good. Yes, exactly. Like, I know he misses, but man, he gets close on every shot. Yeah, but it looks like the cemetery is right there. Like, how far have they gone from this bridge? What, you wanted to see more shots of them walking? But it's the fact, it seems like more of a coincidence that he's running away, he's getting blown up by cannons, and he looks up, oh, there's a tombstone right here. Oh, I'm here. Good. Okay. That's what I want. <laughs> Get to the cemetery. <laughs> but to be honest, this search around the cemetery is done really well. Like, the song. You're a, f- you're a fan of the running? Yes, I'm a fan of the running. It goes on just long enough to not get annoying, but also to convey how endless this search would be for something like this. It's very much like a needle in a haystack. The spinning around, showing just how hard it would be. You have to look for this simple little tombstone among thousands of tombstones. It's portrayed quite well. I guess. Dean shrugs his shoulders like, hmm, I didn't think about it like that. Yeah, fine, I guess. <laughs> no, he just, he looks a bit silly when he's running around. There's, as you said, there's thousands. I don't think he was caring how silly he looked. No, go on. Cut me off again. 
I mean, I guess so not. So anyway, like, <laughs> sorry, I did get one more. I mean, I guess. Who cares how he looks? But there are thousands of tombstones here. Like, it would take him a long time to find it. And what does Blondie do? He basically waits for him to find it. Hmm. I mean, smart move. Yes, of course. So this cemetery, it was actually constructed, especially for the film in Burgos in Spain, and stands today still as a place to visit for lovers of the film. Nice. Do you want to go visit it one day? Sure. All right. I'll hold you to that. No, you won't. (laughs) I've got evidence. (laughs) I love the shadow of Blondie appearing on Tuco, though, as he's digging. Do you get a... I mean, I don't recall, but absolutely. Yes. (laughs) There is no doubt. (laughs) Gives him the shovel. Where did he get the shovel from? Probably next to the cannons. An angel eye shows up. He has a shovel too. Another shovel. (laughs) Go on, Blondie. Dig. He's not going to do that. Yeah. And just before we get to this showdown, we actually get the grave being opened up and you see these bones in there. Did you know they're actually real human bones? I mean, how could I have known that? From someone who put in their will that they wanted to keep being in films after their death. Does he get credited? How weird. I think it's a woman. How weird is that? I mean, it's... Oh, it's weird. Don't act like it's not weird. It's, it's uh, an a interesting way to let your spirit live on. Ooh. Okay. Well, some people like to get cremated. Others like to show their bones off. <laughs> okay. That's weird. <laughs> Maybe she's uh, doing it to get some a paycheck that she can give to her kids. And the great thing about this is that... You're clearly not a fan of that one. Cut me off. Well, I wasn't even listening. <laughs> Just assumed it was dumb. <laughs> the great thing about this, though, is once they realise that the money's not there, all of a sudden Blondie has all the power again. And in his mind, he's always had the power. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. But he says he's going to write the name on the rock, put it in the middle of the, the centre of the cemetery. Yep. We're going to have ourselves a little showdown, which is, of course, my... Excellent! Of course. It's also my... Excellent! I mean, I had no doubt in my mind that it was your favourite too. It's amazing. The build-up, the way the camera goes from the long shots, showing the beautiful surroundings that they're in, to the shots, the close-ups of the head, and then moving into the extreme close-ups of the eyes darting around. The music, obviously, is building, building, building. And the frequency of the cuts, the edits, gets quicker and quicker and quicker. Until we get the culmination. Yeah, you're right. This this scene is so goddamn wonderful. Like, you've built these f- three characters up over the course of almost three hours now. It's absolutely necessary to give them this tension-filled standoff, waiting to see who's going to draw first. The back-and-forth looks as they inch towards their guns with that great score behind it all. If it was a quick little one, two, three shoot, it would have felt cheap, like mm. we didn't give them their due diligence. Exactly. But, unlucky Angel Eyes, he cops it. When you look at the, the wide shot, Tuco aims for Angel Eyes as well with hmm. his gun. It'd be dumb not to because he still doesn't know where, what grave it's the money's under. Well, Blondie has written the name on the rock. Oh, come on. He's already been lied to by Blondie with the name <laughs> yeah, of the grave. It's a good point. It's a good There's point. There's no reason for him to trust that he's actually written the correct name on that rock. But sneaky, shifty Blondie pulled the bullets out the night before. Which is great. Yeah. Like, way to get the upper hand in a trull. I think well, he it's doesn't called. know it's a trull at that point. It's... He's trying to get the upper hand on Tuco just in general. But by the time they do this, the showdown, he knows it doesn't. he doesn't even need to point his gun no. at Tuco. So yep. he knows where he's going to shoot straight away. Yep. So while the other two are trying to look at both of them, he mm. is solely focused on Angel Eyes and definitely why he gets the jump on him. And has to showboat, shoots the hat into the grave as well. And this is where you get the fantastic line. You see, in this world, there's two kinds of people, my friend. 
Those with loaded guns, and those who dig. You dig. So it's here that we do finally find out that he was told it was the grave marked unknown next to Arch Stanton. Hence why he wrote no name on the rock. I mean, more hence why he knows the name of Arch Stanton is actually a tombstone here. But it also plays well because he wasn't technically lying that he, he wrote the name down because he didn't know it. But if he died, they would never find the money anyway. I love this next shot where Tuco stands up and the shot's framed that when he stands up, his head is seen through this noose. He's so gleeful that he opened up these bags of money and he's happy he's got it, but then he looks... We don't even see the, the noose yet because he turns around and looks and his face drops and then it pans up. Yeah, and like you said, his whole face body is in the noose. Mm. And I'm pretty sure you get a... Of course you do. <laughs> but another stupid act from Blondie here. What? Why leave, why leave behind this man who will be hell-bent on killing you? He leaves him half the money. Do you think he cares now? Yes. He did it on purpose. He put him up there. He was always coming back to shoot the rope why down. Bother? He's not going to kill him. Why? He's probably grown accustomed to him. He's He kind of- well, He likes him. Friends? I guess so. No way. You know there was actually a planned The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly 2? No. Yeah, there really was. No, I mean like, no, don't. Uh, <laughs> did you know that? Yeah, So it would have- don't. It would have followed Tuco- Tracking, Tuco's Revenge. Yeah, Tuco's Revenge, tracking down Blondie's grandson who had the money. And Clint Eastwood was open to narrating it. What? Yeah. Uh, Thankfully, it never got off the ground. But Sounds like a joke. It's a possibility. I didn't mind this. He's playing with him. He knew he was always going to take him, like, take him down off the rope. He's left him half the money. He's left him $100,000. I don't think Tuco's going to go after him after this. He's got his 100000 He's good to go. And when he yells out and goes, Yeah, you're a son of a bitch. It's like a... Well, you thought it was playful. It was. I don't know. I, I, I read that differently. No, I th- it definitely plays like Tuco a- Tuco wanted all the money. You know what you are? You're a son of a bitch. Like, like as a friendly gesture. He nearly died. He never was going to die. He's just torturing him. He- Mental torture. Yes. As a playful thing. He's left, <laughs> he's left him the goddamn money. As a he's, playful he's mental back, torture. He's shot him down. Yeah. He's like, ah, look, this is what we do. We, we, put it, we <laughs> hunt each other up. Do you know how much that is roughly worth that money, that 200000 in gold, by today's standards? By today's standards. Jeez, we haven't done an, uh, an exchange on the podcast for a long time. We used to do it every episode. I know. <laughs> we got, got, cut that really quickly, didn't we? <laughs> no, nah, it's roughly worth about, I think it was about $18.5 million in 2011. Someone worked it out to Whoa. me. Whoa. It's, yeah, it's huge hey, amounts massive. of money. So let me ask you this, Dan. Just say, for example, I got sick of your shit and I made you noose yourself up and yep. I left you $9 million on the ground there. Went off for a minute and then come back, cut you down, like, ah, see you later, I'm done. Are you going to be like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come and get you or are you going to look at this $9 million and go, hmm, I'm a rich man? No, I'd come and get you. Even if there was no money involved, I'd come and get you. <laughs> well, you've got a bit of a purpose there. <laughs> No, I mean, I just think it's more in Tuco's character to track down the other nine million. This is a greedy, greedy man. Notice how we've just said nine million. Well, the other nine million. The other hundred thousand. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the other hundred thousand. Anyway, this That's is it. where the movie finishes. That is it. Blondie rides away. Any last words? All right, Dean, what's your final thoughts on the good, the bad, and the ugly? Yeah, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's a fantastic film, considering how old it is. It holds up amazingly well. The direction from Sergio Leone is calm and patient. It's never rushed, which I really appreciate. But as good as the direction is, 
the score by Ennio Marconi, whose name we actually have not mentioned yet on this podcast, just steals the show. This would be a completely different movie without this iconic score. The star of the show, from an acting point of view, though, it's not Clint Eastwood by any stretch. It is Eli Wallach. This guy is phenomenal in this film. He is given more screen time than any other character, and I can see why. This guy is by far the most interesting character, and even though we are given unnecessary backstory, I do like him being on screen more than any other character. And I love that it's called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, but our characters are so grey. Like, these aren't people who are 100% good, 100% ugly. They all have their positive and negative traits. Blondie, for example, kills more people in this film than either one of the other two combined. Blondie actually kills 11 people in this film, compared to... Angel Eyes kills three. And Tuco kills six. So, he's actually more lethal than any of them. But he's our good guy, which is how it would have been back then, I imagine. And I feel like it's showcased fantastically by Sergio Leone. Very, very strong film and a fantastic classic Western. What are your thoughts, Endo? Yeah, this really is a great film, isn't it? Just a wild ride from start to finish with some great characters given to us, each with their own unique traits that play off each other quite wonderfully. Clint Eastwood as the man with no name, Blondie, whatever you want to call him. He's mysterious and dark, yet he's got a soft and sympathetic side too. On the other side of the coin is Eli Wallach's Tuco, who, I agree, he is the standout of this film. And he's contrasted perfectly off Blondie in this almost odd couple relationship as they unwillingly have to cooperate to both get what they want. Rounding out the trio is Lee Van Cleef's Angel Eyes, who brings this antagonistic glare and smirk and creates a great triangle of characters. The dirty and gritty feel for the Spaghetti Western works great here, as these characters need to have that grizzled look to become more authentic. The cinematography is a joy to watch, with so many wide long shots that hold it there to let it all soak in. Sergio Leone made excellent use of silent tension with extreme close-ups, perfect editing and timing. But I think for me, the best thing about this film is the score by Ennio Morricone, mm. one of the all-time favourites that I could just sit there and listen to. I actually did go back and listen to the soundtrack after the movie had finished, because I just love it so damn much. I guess my one fault with the film is that it did start to drag at certain points, several scenes that felt unnecessary, and it made my interest wander elsewhere on certain occasions. But that was only at the very rare time, but it was still noticeable. Overall, this is an absolute classic, iconic Western one that everyone should tick off their movie bucket list. A fantastic film. I was the best because the crowd loved me. All right, Dean, where is this going to sit on your rankings of 24? Now 25 films. Now 25. We are now 10% of the way through. That makes it sound so far away, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> we are not even close, which is good. All right, so for me, uh, it's pretty easy for me. It's better than Paths of Glory, better than Prestige. So we're at my number 16 with Prestige. Better Than A Beautiful Mind, and we hit Django Unchained at number 14, and this is where it honestly gets tough. What are we going to do? A, a Tarantino Western, or I mean, his, yeah. his inspiration Western? I think I'm actually going to put The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly above Django here. Okay. Even though Django is much more rewatchable, I feel like if I watch The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly every 10 years, I'm going to enjoy it more than I would Django. So, okay. I'm going to put The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly at the new number 14. What about you, Hendo? Okay, so let's look at the tier that I'm going to put it in here. We'll start it at number 13 and see if it is better than Logan, which I think it is. Mm -hmm. And then, is it better than Donnie Darko? And I believe it is. And that is where it stops for me. I think it, The Terminator is a better film for me. So I'm going to put it at number 12 on my list. 
Very good. Hey Topher, I was doing an etymology search because, well, who needs a reason? Turns out watch comes from the Proto-Germanic word watchen, meaning be awake. Interesting if true, Billy. So our podcast, We Watched a Thing, really just means we stayed awake for something. Uh, Yeah, or at least most of it. Well, having been awake is about all the credentials we can really lay claim to when it comes to talking about movies. Speak for yourself, I've got legit IMDB credit. Well, all the visual effects experience in the world doesn't change the fact that you found passengers so emotionally touching that you cried. Oh yeah, taste guidelines from the cameraman who likes Jedi more than Empire, really? Ewoks are the best. Are they? Yes. And if you, dear listener, feel there aren't enough semi-informed cinematic opinions in your life, then a weekly dose of We Watched a Thing is for you. We Watched a Thing. We stay awake in everything. Find us at wewatchedathing.com or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else good podcasts are found. Hey listeners, we just want to take a quick second to thank you all for taking the time out of your day to come and listen to us banter on about movies and all things movie related. Yeah, it really does mean a lot to the both of us. We're always looking to improve our show, to get our name out there, and there are a couple of ways you could help us. Yeah, one of the easiest ways is to just get the word of mouth out there. You know, let your family and friends know about the show and where they can find us, which is pretty much everywhere. Places like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, and all the other podcast catches you can search for, we're probably on there. And hey, if you find one we're not on, let us know so we can fix it. You can contact us on Twitter at IMDB Journey, our Facebook page at facebook.com slash IMDB Journey, our Letterboxd page at letterboxd.com slash IMDB Journey, or you can email us at imdbjourney at gmail.com. Exactly. Another way to help us out is to leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes for us. Or if you're really loving the content and are looking for more, then why not check out our Patreon, where we post another weekly show, breaking down other films not on the IMDb Top 250. Yeah, that's right. What have we got coming up this week, Kendo? Well, Dean, we're at our final film in the Wes Anderson filmography. We are going to be releasing 2018's Isle of Dogs. I love dogs. That's what I said. (laughs) Yeah, and since that's going to be the conclusion of our Wes Anderson series, we need a new series to tackle. So what we're going to do is we're going to be doing the sequels of one of the films that we have broken down already. And if you are a patron, you're going to get to choose which series of films we're going to do. So we've got either the Die Hard movies or the Matrix sequels. So, so we're going to have that poll up on our Patreon very soon, and we'll find out which series of films we're going to be breaking down next. Absolutely. I just want to add, we got a brand new patron this week. We've got Joe Banyard, who has joined our crew. Yes, Joe, he's been a follower for a while now, and he's finally decided to step into our territory and become a patron. So, Joe, we really, really appreciate it, buddy. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much, buddy. So, if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, head on over to patreon.com slash imdbjourney and check out the myriad of rewards and benefits we have to offer. Hi, everyone. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. I'm Dave. I'm Joel. And I'm Austin. And we are Films on Trial. Basically, we take a film and we put it on trial. It's as simple as that. The films are suggested to us by our listeners and are then picked out of the hat at random, as are our roles. The first role is that of the defense who is trying to get the film placed on the hit list. And then there's the prosecutor who is trying to condemn the film. And most importantly, we have the judge who decides which list the film should be placed on based solely on the arguments put to them and not using their own opinion. There's also plenty of other things to keep you entertained, including some terrible songs, some poor xylophone playing, some questionable impressions, a caption contest, a quiz, and a whole host of banter. So, if you like the sounds of that, then why not check us out on your local podcast platform or on our website, filmsontrial.co.uk, where we will be in your ears. 
In the meantime, back to you, Daniel and Dean. All right, let's get into... We may still have mail. Mail, mail, mail. Here it is. And this could be it. Oh. And it's just the one review for The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly this week, and that is from... Really, this needs no introduction. I'm not a big Western fan, but this was the Western film of its day. For anyone who's seen it, the three things that will stand out in your mind will be the three main stars portraying the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as the fantastic theme, score, music that has since become iconic. Lastly, there's a three-hour runtime to combat with. Of the three actors, Eli Wallach as Tuco, the ugly, is clearly the standout. He has more backstory than the other two characters, and the character's mischievous bastardry is relentlessly entertaining. Obviously, Clint is the biggest star, and he's the good, but I actually didn't feel a lot of sympathy for his character, apart from the desert torture scene. As for the bad, he doesn't feel anywhere near as prominent in the film as the other two. He's okay and does his part, but he's almost a secondary character. My favourite part of the film has to be the standoff in the graveyard at the climax. I'm sure that won't be different for a whole lot of people reviewing this film. The director's style and atmosphere he creates are excellent, but for me what's lacking in this movie is a solid plot. There are a few too many detours in this movie, and the long run time doesn't help. Nevertheless, it is a better film than Once Upon a Time in the West, so you really can't complain. It is the swinging 60s after all. Thanks for that, Shane. Yeah, thanks, Shane. All right, let's get into this week's... That's my question! The question, jerk! Where we asked you, what is your favourite film starring... Clint Eastwood. And let's take a look at some responses here from friend of the show, Gidget Von LaRue. Gah, this is tough, but I'll go with Play Misty for Me and Gran Torino. From the superiority complex where eagles dare, Clint and Richard Burton make a great team somehow. Fair enough. From the scoundrel of the screen, Unforgiven, Play Misty for Me or Gran Torino. Have you seen Play Misty for Me? No, I haven't. Never even heard of it. Yeah, I think it's his first, uh, it's his directorial debut. Is it really? Yeah. Huh. From our true crime podcast, Every Which Way But Loose, Clyde Stole My Heart. Have you seen any of those Clint Eastwood monkey movies? There's a genre of Clint Eastwood monkey movies? there's a couple of them. Nah. Have you? Nah, I haven't seen any of them. The box office boys said, I've got to go with a fistful of dollars. Sam at the Movie Reviews in 20Q's podcast says, There's the good, the bad, and the ugly, and then there's everything else. Mind you, I have been playing a ton of Red Dead Redemption 2 lately, (laughs) so that could skew things. I reckon. (laughs) Fair call. From one of our favourites, Patreon Aliani Silvermist, I'm a huge Eastwood fan because my grandfather was obsessed, but I prefer his westerns. I'd go with Pale Rider. You seen Pale Rider? No. No, I haven't either. <laughs> Looking at this makes me realise I have not seen enough Clint Eastwood movies. <laughs> From the visual profit movies, I don't want to say Million Dollar Baby, but it's Million Dollar Baby for me. <laughs> From the micro-business renegade podcast, Million Dollar Baby or Josie Wales. Nobody rides a horse or holds a gun better than Clint Eastwood. From Maria Emma in The Line of Fire. Love him and the amazing, gorgeous, and lovely Rene Russo. From Kyle Allinger, Unforgiven is a great one for me, but since it's well represented here already, I'll say Dirty Harry. For me, it defines gritty 70s action movies. It's creepy, unsettling, and exciting. The downfall is just that annoying bus scene. From Hello, Is It Lee You're Looking For? For a few dollars more, while The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly is the all-time classic, I do think The Prior is much more rewatchable and entertaining. The tighter dynamic between Eastwood and Cleef, especially the hat scene. Which hat scene? There's tons of them. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, from the Filmmakers Podcast, Million Dollar Baby. He's immense in that film. Leaves all the heavy lifting to Hilary Swank, who smashes it out of the park. 
but it's his heart and grit and anchor that keeps the emotion bottled right. Well so, said. Yeah, so thank you everyone for your answers there, but it's time to get into our top five film starring Clint Eastwood. Right, Dean, let's kick it off. What's your number five film? The number five film is Million Dollar Baby. My number five is A Fistful of Dollars. Oh, I haven't seen that. You will eventually. My number four is In the Line of Fire. I have not seen In the Line of Fire. Oh, it's very good. You got John Malkovich as a villain. Great. Cool. I might watch it one other time. <laughs> he's like yeah, he's like this uh, bodyguard to the president. Okay, cool. It's interesting. My number four is For a Few Dollars More. I haven't seen that either. <laughs> my number three is Gran Torino. Oh, that's my number three too. Nice. Yeah. We'll go back to you then. What's your number two? My number two, the movie we've just reviewed, The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. Okay. My number two is one you've already mentioned. It's Million Dollar Baby. But let's get into the big one. What is your number one Clint Eastwood film? I'm pretty sure I know what it is. Yeah, I'm sure you do. I'm not even sure you've seen it. I have seen it. We'll discuss that in a minute. But go on, what's your number one? My number one film is Unforgiven. Yeah, I knew it was that one. And no surprises here, my number one is The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Yeah, of course. You don't like Unforgiven? I saw it probably, again, 14 years ago or something, and from my memory, I didn't like it. But I'm telling you, it is the number one film on the top 250 that I want to watch again, because I feel like I would love it now. And I'm going to, obviously, we're going to get to it. I think it'd be a much higher rating I give it, but... Just from my memory, from watching it many, 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 many years ago, I didn't like it. Morgan Freeman's in it. I know. I've Dumbledore, seen the film. Gene Hackman's the OG. in it. I know. I know all this stuff. It is probably the one on the list that I feel like, if I watch it now, like it's going to be a lot of different perspectives from when I was a teenager to now that I'm a, an adult who... Maybe. I guess, a cinephile, I guess. All right. All right. We'll get to it eventually. So that's our list of Clint Eastwood movies. All right. Let's take a look at the final four in our Best Director Tournament. Let's start with the second match first. Mm, I think we should. The match was Steven Spielberg against Quentin Tarantino. Two big powerhouses here. Heavy hitters. As all four of them are. We're in the final four now. Absolutely. This one was a a bit more of a victory. A bit more of an impressive victory. That's what I would say. 65% to Steven Spielberg. So, I'm happy with that. I didn't expect it. I did. I moved him into the finals here. Yep. But the first match, Christopher Nolan against Alfred Hitchcock. So, last time I saw it, it was 50-50. Now, Dean, there's a 51% victory. Is there really? There really is. How many votes? 72. With 51% of the votes, it's Alfred Hitchcock. Wow. Yeah, I definitely had Nolan and Tarantino in the final. So, we've got a Hitchcock-Spielberg final. And what that actually means is, this was the only way that I could have secured a tie in our in our match, in so our brackets here. Who do you need to win to tie with me? No, no, like, we're tied now because the only way I could get a point ahead is if Spielberg won, which gave me a point to catch up to you, mm. and Nolan lost, so you did not grab the point. Uh, okay, so, so we're tied. It doesn't matter what happens at the end here. For us, for our bracket, it doesn't matter for us, but we're going to end up on a tie, which means we're both going to give each other three films to watch over two weeks. Nice. Which we will give each other at the end of this whole tournament. But the grand final, Alfred Hitchcock against Steven Spielberg, the number two seed against the number five seed. So while we're on the subject of polls, let's journey back to two weeks ago, where we battled John, Mark and Jay from the Film Inquiry Podcast Network. We went into the movie draft in a tie first round and a win in the second, and we drafted directorial debuts. And just to recap here, we had The Shawshank Redemption, 
Reservoir Dogs, American History X, American Beauty, and Toy Story. And they had Citizen Kane, This Is Spinal Tap, 12 Angry Men, Being John Malkovich, and Get Out. Let's have a look at some responses here. We got one here from recent patron Joe Banyard. I really want to vote for the Film Inquiry podcast as they were my favorite guests so far, but American Beauty is one of my all-time favorites, so it's got to be IMDb Journey this week. Nice little compliment to the Film Inquiry pod, guys. From previous losers at We Watched a Thing, I'm going IMDb Journey this time, but geez, this is the hardest decision yet. One here from Noah Pate, have to go with IMDb Journey for Shawshank and American History X. From another previous loser of this uh, draft thing we do, The Contrarians. This one was an easy win for the IMDb boys, not a single weak link on their list. The competition had Malkovich and Spinal Tap, which I love, but also Kane and Get Out which I think are overrated. So Daniel and Dean get my vote. From your friend and mine, patron Shane Jeffrey, IMDb Journey Easy. Four out of five films in my top 100. Two out of five in my top four. Film Inquiry have zero. (laughs) (laughs) From Pixie Bomber, IMDb Journey. You had me at Toy Story. I guess that was right at the end there. (laughs) (laughs) And from another previous loser of our draft, movie reviews in 20 Qs. Holy shit. IMDb Journey are gonna lose... I've been telling everyone this is rigged. Yeah, we wanted to perk ourselves up here by calling out all our losers so far because it happened. It's the end of an era, as some would say. Yes, 56% of the Film Inquiry Podcast Network. Well done, guys. Well Very done, well fellas. done. Well played. That actually means it ended up in a 1-1-1 tie, our first tie overall. So, lads, we'll have you back on for a rematch so we can thoroughly kick your ass next time. Yeah, I look forward to that. So, What's next? All right, Hendo, it's time to find out what our next movie to break down from the IMDb Top 250 list. Hendo, hit that random number generator. We have got 172. Dean, what is that? All right, that is Cool Hand Luke. Nice. I actually have not seen that film. Well, you will, won't you? Uh, Well done, Hendo. Yes, I will. (laughs) Nice. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, that'll be good. So that's going to do it for this week, Dean. Yes, it will. It's been a blast, as always, Hendo. We'll be back next week with our Pod V Pod 9 with our next guest. We'll also be talking about what else we've been watching. Dean, we've had an extra week to watch some films. Anything you have seen in particular? Yeah, I've seen a few films. I had a chance to see the latest Halloween. Also saw Crazy Rich Asians as well, which came out earlier on in the year. Yeah, I'm hoping to uh, catch up on that tomorrow, hopefully. I did manage to finally watch Beast of No Nation. Very good. And just a couple of other little 2018 films as well that you'll hear next week. All right, that'll do it for today. Thank you very much for listening, as always, everyone. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week for Pod V Pod 9. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye.